Our text this morning is going to be from John chapter 13, verses 1 to 15. As we've made our way through this short series on Calvary's vision for ministry and the values upon which that vision will be carried out, we spent last week talking about how here at Calvary we stand on the stone. We value the fundamentals of the faith. We recognize that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, the one on whom our faith is built, that he is the rock of our salvation. Added to that, we confess the Apostles' Creed, pray together the Lord's Prayer, and have a time of confession and absolution so that we might continue to celebrate and tangibly remember what Christ means to us and what he has done for us. This week, we are moving on to our second value, focus on the feet. There's a surprising amount of Bible passages that talk about feet. Often the focus on the feet in these passages is highlighting our need to let God and others into the vulnerable areas of our lives. Some of these verses highlight the reality that we don't have it all together in the ways that we think we do. Sometimes they highlight the call to answer God's call in serving his people and the lost. Here at Calvary, we value vulnerability, humility, and service. Today, we're going to focus on one of the feet verses in Scripture, but we'll touch on a few others as well. Our text this morning comes from John's account of Jesus' last night with his disciples before his crucifixion. We're going to pick up in, again, John 13. We'll be reading verses 1 to 6. If you have your Bibles with you, you're welcome to read along. And if not, the words will be up on the screen behind me. John chapter 13, 1 to 6. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, 
You guys have been uh, putting up with me for four full years now, and, and we're working on number five. The first sermon series that we went through here was on Galatians, and at that time, we would, have, we would have the service, and then we'd follow up the service with Sunday school, and one of the things that I would ask during Sunday school was if anyone had any questions on the sermon that morning. I still remember the Sunday school class after I had preached on Galatians 6, where we heard about carrying each other's burdens. In order to carry a burden, we've got to know what it is. And so I asked the class that morning if they were comfortable confessing their burdens, their sins, to other Christians. And as you can imagine, the air just kind of left the room. Could have heard a, a pin drop. And then there was just like this unified like shaking of heads. Like, no. And then, and then one voice from, from the other side of the room, no, no way. And, and, and that was like, that was it. I was like, okay, all right. And, and, and you know, I get it. <laughs> we, we all get it. There are places and times where we can be vulnerable, where vulnerability is acceptable. But for many of us, the church is not it. For many, the church has been a place where we do everything we can do to hide what is actually going on, the, the sin in our lives, the struggles that we are facing, and the imperfections that continue to frustrate and exasperate us. God has given us laws, and we feel like if people knew how bad we were at keeping them perfectly, that they would judge us and, and cast us out as unworthy children. And so we come to the conclusion that it is better to hide, mask, and cover our sin than it is to be vulnerable about how we are struggling with things that we would rather not be struggling with. And make no mistake, I'm, I'm not trying or, or just putting a Calvary on blast here. This is how churches have dealt with, with Christian sin for generations, for as long as I've known. I mean, we hide it. We try to ignore it. We don't talk about it, and, and we hope that it'll go away. So much easier to condemn the sin of those outside the church than it is to be vulnerable about the sin inside it. This was made particularly clear in a situation that took place this past week. Back in June, the Southern Baptist Convention, a branch of Baptists and the largest Christian denomination in the U.S., held their annual meetings. One of the hot topics during uh, the, the meetings was the issue of sexual abuse that had taken place and was taking place within churches associated with the SBC. A number of survivors had bravely come forward and accused the executive committee of not listening to them and, and even covering up the moral failings of a number of SBC pastors. Their voices were heard, and a vast majority of the messengers, the, the voting members, the delegates, as we would call them, attending the meetings, voted for a third-party inquiry to take place, investigating the executive committee and the information that they had been given and the things that had been covered up. This past week, the news broke that in, in an unprecedented move, the executive committee of the SBC decided to ignore the will of the messengers. There would be no investigation. The cover-up would continue. The victims would just have to keep waiting for justice as they continued to endure the victim shaming. The executive committee just couldn't open itself up to the firestorm that would ensue if the sin of their members, the sin of a number of the pastors, was publicly acknowledged. 
And though we are not the executive branch of an incredibly influential Christian denomination, and though it may and should disgust us that they are choosing to continue to look the other way and even go so far as to blame the victims, there's a piece of us, there's a piece of us that understands it, don't we? Because the vulnerability of owning our sin and confessing it to someone else is terrifying. And as we see in our text this morning, vulnerability is what we have been called to. Jesus gathers his disciples in an upper room. They're having dinner, and then Jesus gets up and takes off his outer clothing and wraps a towel around his waist. He then begins to make his way through the disciples, washing their feet. Now, now let's be real. Feet are a little gross. Ain't no smell like a nasty foot smell. Growing up in a, in a rural farming community in Canada, people always took their shoes off before entering a house because you never knew what was on your shoes. And we didn't need to be traipsing all that our shoes had collected in the farmyard all over the house. It made sense. But here in Bergen County, we don't really have those issues. And so a lot of people just keep their shoes on all the time, which is totally cool. So now in my house, it's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure story, right? I take my shoes off because it's what I grew up with and it's what I'm comfortable with. But if you want to keep your shoes on in my house, you are totally welcome and encouraged to do that. But man, there's sometimes it's more encouraged than others, right? Sometimes those shoes come off in the house and all your nose hairs just kind of start curling. And it's like, okay, okay, maybe time to put those puppies back on. And stop polluting the living room, man, where we're trying to breathe in here. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Feet are nasty. They sweat and they stink. And, and though they are incredibly functional, they are not exactly appealing to the eye. And this was amplified in the time of Christ. They didn't have pavement and sidewalks. It was all dusty roads. So people's feet were absolutely filthy. I've had my kids come inside after running around outside barefoot, and it's like, bro, you got to get in the tub. Those feet are crazy dirty, and that was every day. That was every day for the people in Jesus' time. They had sandals, but, but sandals didn't keep out the dirt. The dust and the filth got everywhere. It was so gross that Jewish slaves weren't even allowed to perform the act of washing feet. It was too dirty, too below them. No, that particular pleasure was reserved for the Gentile slaves. And here is Jesus making his way down the line of his disciples, washing their feet. It's no wonder that Peter responded the way that he did. Jesus gets to Peter, and Peter's like, so you're planning on washing my feet too? And Jesus replies, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. To which Peter says what's on everyone's mind, no. No, you shall never wash my feet. I don't want you near my filth. And oh, how our sinful hearts sing along to the song of Peter. We don't want people near our sin. That's our sin. We'll deal with it. We'll take care of it. We can't let others know about it. Why? Because if others knew about it, they'll judge me. They'll, they'll think less of me. They'll know my weakness. They'll know my shame. They'll have power over me. Which begs the question, is Jesus washing the feet of the disciples that he might have power over them? That he might judge them for their shame? Of course not. 
He's washing their feet because he wants them to be clean. Because he wants them to be clean. Disciples don't realize it yet. But looking back, not just on that moment, but what went on in the next 24 hours gives us a clear picture of what Jesus is actually doing. For the next 24 hours, or in the next 24 hours, Jesus would be betrayed. He'd be taken before the religious leaders of the day and then the political leaders of the day and then put on trial before an angry mob. And the end result would be Christ walking up the hill to Calvary with a cursed tree on his shoulders. And not only would he have the weight of that tree, but Jesus would be carrying the weight of all the sin of all the world. If the disciples thought cleaning feet was offensive, imagine being so intimately aware of each and every dirty little secret, each and every covered up dalliance, each and every failing and flaw that belonged to not only the disciples, but to everyone that ever lived. Everything that you and I have been loath to admit to one another, Jesus was incredibly and intimately aware of because each and every one of those sins was put on him. Jesus took all of the sin for all the world, and there on the cross, he became sin for us. And there on the cross, Jesus died for it. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And when we believe in Jesus, when we trust in the faith that we have been given, and we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus washing the disciples' feet that evening was an illustration of the forgiveness that he was about to pour out over them. He was showing them that they could be vulnerable with him, that though the stench of their feet was offensive to him, that though it was absolutely beneath him to engage in cleaning that gross part of their body, not only as a Jew, but also as their teacher, and yet he did it willingly. And if they didn't show vulnerability, if they didn't want him near those areas of their lives that were embarrassing, and offensive? We pick up with the end of verse 8 as Jesus responds to Peter's insistence that Jesus would never wash his feet. Jesus answers, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. If we choose to not be vulnerable with God, if we choose to continue to try and hide our sin, to, to cover it up with as many good actions as possible, and choose to not repent, to not confess, to not seek forgiveness, then we have no business calling ourselves Christians. This is part of the Christian walk. This is part of what it means to have a relationship with God, to be vulnerable with Him. And while on the surface that seems pretty terrifying, it's actually not. Because as we just recognize, Jesus is already intimately aware of everything you've ever done and everything that you will ever do. And He loves you anyway. There's nothing you can do that will surprise God. No sin that will make him fall out of love with you, for he is already aware of it. He's already paid for it. And so confessing to him is truly just telling him something that he already knows. Regardless of how appalling your sin may be to yourself or your fellow man, God is ready to forgive you. And we know this because of another story from the Bible that focuses on the feet. In Luke 7, we read about how Jesus has been invited over to a Pharisee's house for dinner. A woman from the town who is a known sinner, a prostitute, finds out that Jesus is there, and she enters the Pharisee's house and approaches Jesus weeping. Her tears wet his feet, and she begins to wash his feet with her hair, kissing them with her lips and pouring expensive perfume out on them. 
Now the Pharisee is appalled. And he thinks to himself, if this man truly were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner, and he would have nothing to do with her. Jesus knows the man's thoughts and rebukes him, saying, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Can you imagine how brave the woman must have been to enter the house of a church leader and to approach Jesus? knowing the judgment and scorn that she would have coming her way from those who thought that they were better than her? Church, let us not be the Pharisee, sitting back and judging others for the sin in their lives that they are struggling with. It is this posture that creates a culture where people are one way in church and another in the world. No one wants to be judged for what they already know they've done wrong. And fearing the judgment of others keeps us from being vulnerable. Church, let us not be the Pharisee, for he is the one who is rebuked by God. No, let us continually recognize that we are the prostitute, humbly and tearfully approaching God, continually in need of his forgiveness. And let us remember how Jesus responded to the prostitute. He did not celebrate her sin. He celebrated her repentance. And her reward was forgiveness. Let us celebrate repentance. Let us focus on the feet. Let us be a church that is vulnerable and humble. A place where people know they can approach God, repent, and receive forgiveness. A place where their feet will be washed. And let us be washers of feet. For in our text this morning, we see that it is not just Jesus who washes feet, but that this is a ministry that has been given to us as well. We read in verses 14 to 17 in our text this morning, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, will be blessed. If you do them, let us be a church that celebrates repentance and readily responds with forgiveness. This is what Jesus has called us to. This is a ministry he has given his church. Wash one another's feet. At Calvary, we focus on the feet. Here we value vulnerability, humility, and service. Not that we might take advantage of the vulnerable, but that we might celebrate repentance that we might be ready to respond with forgiveness. The same forgiveness that has been poured out over each and every one of us. What a fantastic, gracious, loving, and merciful God we serve. Amen. As we respond to the word this morning, let's stand as we sing together our hymn, Be Thou My Vision.
prepare to transition now between our regular Sunday morning service and our communion service. I would just like to thank those who have joined us online. May God bless you uh, throughout the rest of this week, and we'll see you next week. For those of us who are here,